This is Earth Files, the award-winning news site with the latest updates in science, environment, and real X-Files. Podcasting in-depth reports beyond the 6 o'clock news by Emmy Award-winning journalist Linda Moulton Howe. Hi, everyone. Uh, We are uh, having one of those technical glitch beginnings uh, that has delayed us, but I think that, I hope, that you will find that the program tonight is worth it, even if we've had to go through these problems with the mic and start two or three times. Um, I do have uh, good news outside of holding dear Fluffy, uh, who wanted to hang around tonight, and Chocolate is downstairs. And one of the good pieces of news to celebrate is that we have broken through 145,000 subscribers, and that was yesterday. And I just want to thank you all so much. Thanks from me and from Chocolate and Fluffy and Brad, Peggy, Ian, and Earthfile support. Can you feel our digital hugs to you through our screens? And let's go for 150,000 subscribers in July. If so, we can raise our champagne glasses to each other and also cheer the brand new Mars rover called Perseverance that is now scheduled to launch four weeks from now on July 20th, 2020 at 7.15 a.m. Mountain Time. And in all other time zones around the world, its mission to search for evidence of life, past and present. This is the first Mars rover mission designed specifically to look for evidence of organic life from the past and maybe even evidence of some kind of life forms on Mars now. Linda, am I going to ask you the chupacabra question this morning, tonight? Later. Yesterday, I watched the House Energy and Commerce Committee hearing with the heads of the CDC, the World Health Organization, and Dr. Anthony Fauci, MD, director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. They spoke about the dangers now and coming in the fall when a second wave is expected to hit when both influenza and COVID-19 will be circulating together. Currently, Texas, Arizona, and California are reporting record high increases in coronavirus cases. Yesterday, Texas reported a daily record of more than 5,000 new infections. Further, Dr. Fauci contradicted President Trump's Tulsa, Oklahoma rally cry 
to slow down testing to keep the COVID-19 case numbers lower. Dr. Fauci instead said that, quote, in fact, we will be doing more testing in order to understand exactly what is going on in community spread, close quote. Dr. Fauci expressed deep concern about the next two weeks, this week and next week, to see if there are big surges in new cases and deaths in states such as Florida, Texas, Arizona, and other regions that have opened up too quickly without mandatory face masks, social distancing, and contact tracing. And as of tonight at 6 p.m. Mountain Time, the United States total confirmed COVID cases are now at 2,463,226 with 124,281 total deaths. My prayers to everybody around the world and here in the United States for protection for all of you from COVID. And think every time you're going out or going anywhere, and even though it's a hassle about wearing a mask, think of the people that you love in your life, from family to friends to others, and that wearing a mask is helping them. Just think of it that way, and you in return are helped by other people who are wearing masks because this coronavirus is treacherous. Now, I would like to go back to my broadcast last week to help clear up some confusions before we go forward with a second part, as I told you, with retired U.S. Army intelligence analyst Edward Keith Abbott. And now this is about what he else he learned about ETs and UFOs at Schofield Barracks, Hawaii, and from people who were working in the Kunia Tunnel in Hawaii, plus a near-death experience that he had in 2018. And that's when he had emergency heart surgery for five bypasses. We had hoped this week, before this broadcast, that he and his 22-year-old son, Tobias, who was with him in Hawaii when he saw that strange bat butterfly wing thing in the sky and got the three photos. I've talked with Tobias who remembers it all. We were hoping that we could share with you a video of the father and the 22-year-old son talking about what happened back in November of 2008, or uh, they weren't sure of the month exactly, but in 2008. But the sad news this week is that Eddie became very sick again this past weekend and was hospitalized on Monday, June 22nd with more heart and blood pressure problems. And you will hear in a few minutes why Eddie Abbott told me during our two-hour interview two weeks ago that he is not afraid if it is time for him on this side of the veil uh, to move on. But first, I'm going to share with you some of Eddie's comments and clarifications after this last week's June 17th Earth Files broadcast. 
Edward Keith Abbott, at an older age than most, at 34, entered the U.S. Army in 2006. He did basic training at Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri. He wanted to be an intelligence analyst and was sent to Fort Huachuca, Arizona for 16 weeks of training from March to September of 2006. Briefly after that, he was sent to Fort Campbell, Kentucky. There, he was attached to the 5th Group Special Forces, where he could have a beard. That's where Eddie Abbott was photographed wearing this Army camouflage fatigue shirt and the black beret, which was the primary headgear for all United States Army troops, then worn as part of the Army service uniform. He was also allowed to grow a beard in the context of his Special Forces status. Next, after Fort Campbell, Eddie was assigned to the one place that he most wanted to work, at S3, the 500th Military Intelligence Brigade at Schofield Barracks on Oahu, Hawaii. He arrived there in early 2007 with his wife, their three girls, and one boy, Tobias, who was in grade school. The S3 building at Schofield Barracks was not far from the famous Kunia Tunnel run by the National Security Agency that listens to the world through advanced satellite systems inside the large, branching, and highly classified tunnel built into a hill designed to look like a farm during World War II. Eddie's S3 colleagues knew others who worked in the Kunia Tunnel, and periodically there would be whispered discussions about UFOs and ETs. In 2008, Eddie's then wife and four kids lived in a house near Eva Beach, a few miles south of the NSA's Kunia Tunnel and the Army Schofield Barracks. The whole family was outside at a table where Eddie and his wife were relaxing with cigarettes when Tobias yelled, Dad, what is that in the sky? Eddie said he had never seen anything like the large bat butterfly winged aerial object that was moving very slowly in a large circular pattern above them. He ran for his video camera, but the battery was dead. So he got his Motorola Razor flip phone that he knew didn't take very good pictures, but was better than nothing. And he ran back outside and aimed at the large UFO but he said the phone acted weird and all he could get were three images, this being one of his photos. Now here is a second image that Eddie got on his flip phone when the strange UFO was further away. And here is a third, closer, but more out of focus frame that Eddie got on the Razor flip phone. And then, when Eddie Abbott was back at the Schofield Barracks in his S3 unit, he showed one of his Army colleagues his flip phone images and asked, what was this object? He had no idea that taking photos of that UFO and asking about it would lead to the commanding officer ordering that Eddie's razor flip phone be brought to him. And then the CO, Colonel Grove, took out the memory card. On instinct, though, before he had gone to see Colonel Grove, Eddie had transferred the three flip phone images to his home computer right after he took them. 
So when the CO got the flip phone and took out the memory card, Eddie knew he still had at least a copy of the originals on his home computer. Colonel Grove did give the phone back to Eddie without the memory card. And then in 2009, just a year and a couple of months later, Eddie was badly hurt with a head wound that caused him to retire from the Army. His DD-214 states that he was honorably discharged in 2009 with a medical disability having served since 2006. And keeping the timeline straight is important because seven years later, on October 29th, 2015, here is a headline that day in the UK Express featuring yet another close-up frame and wide shot of what looks like the same strange craft that Eddie and his family all saw in 2008, a full seven years before these photos headlined in the UK Express. The date that these photos were taken was October 24th, 2015 in the Midwestern United States. Eddie sent me the express images to compare to the three that he had gotten in Hawaii in 2008, seven years before. Now here is what the express reported about these bat butterfly winged UFO images. Quote, the odd shaped black craft with several lights apparently on its underside is said to have been videotaped and photographed by a father and son who were just leaving a restaurant near the border of Ohio and Kentucky in the USA at around 7 p.m. local time on Saturday, October 24th, 2015. That's five days before the UK Express put the, some of their photos on the, in the headline on the UK newspaper but the date of the actual event is October 24th, 2015. The pair who took the photos and brief video allowed only their names, Tom and Christopher, father and son. And they said that five minutes after they saw these images, these, the uh, craft, that two, quote, military helicopters showed up following in the same direction that this aerial craft was moving, close quote. That's like what happened seven years earlier in Hawaii. Two Nighthawk helicopters followed by jets showed up where the bat-winged UFO was being watched by Eddie Abbott and his family until the military helicopter showed up and the black-winged UFO took off toward Diamond Head and dove down into the ocean water. And then Eddie, his wife and four kids, watched a military operation of helicopters and jets circling over the ocean long into that night in 2008, apparently determined to find, catch, do something with that large bat butterfly winged UFO. And then seven years later on the Kentucky-Ohio border, the UK Express reported, quote, in the video taken by the dad, Tom, the UFO craft is seen to slowly glide past 
but as it nears the horizon, two small flashes spark of light are seen away from it on either side of this object. Close quote. And we are showing first normal speed and then slowing down by 50%. We don't know what these bright light sparks are. Now, what is this large black bat butterfly winged aerial object that has been photographed over Eva Beach in Hawaii in 2008 by Eddie? then seven years later on the Kentucky-Ohio border. And there have been a couple of other images that Eddie has seen and I have seen that sort of resemble these, but these are the two clearest. And why did Eddie's three flip phone photos so anger Colonel Grove, his commanding officer? Eddie felt punished for simply wanting to show his fellow Army friends, what he and his family had seen. After all, he was an American intelligence unit analyst. He was based at Schofield Barracks. And further, Eddie was used to having a cigarette break or drinking a beer with a few of his S3 500th MI, which stands for Military Intelligence Brigade, and also guys from the 732nd Military Intelligence Battalion when there were all kinds of strange talk about UFOs and ETs in those discussions of military colleagues when Eddie was there in Hawaii. That is how Eddie heard about what we listened to last week of current humanity being the fourth genetic experiment by advanced intelligences mixing and matching genes on Earth to create different species, including smarter, standing up primate humanoids. And if the fourth experiment is us, and it did not make, whatever the fourth experiment was, did not make humans evolve to be less violent, as Eddie pointed out was in the discussion, there could be a fifth experiment to replace the fourth. Maybe that's why the discussions are so classified. He knew the subject was sensitive, but clearly some of the Army guys did have this knowledge about ETs on Earth throughout the solar system that the American public has never, never been given officially. So why the huge disconnect between the reality of alien presences and their very advanced intelligences and technologies versus the political cover-up since World War II that has promoted humans as being a life form on this planet that is unique and alone in this universe and that UFOs are just misidentifications of weather balloons, birds, Venus, and fireballs. I have been trying to penetrate the policies of lies and deceptions since my first investigations of bloodless, trackless mutilations that I began in the fall of 1979. And one of my breakthroughs 
came in the early 1990s when I received half a dozen letters and illustrations from people in the human abduction syndrome, which showed a cloning technology of large tubes in which different types of bodies, ranging from human to extraterrestrial, were sustained by light frequencies from the tops and the bottoms of the tubes. One abductee said to me, like resurrection tubes. And in my third book, Glimpses of Other Realities, Volume 2, I have a 106-page chapter in this book, which has those images of the cloned bodies and we had that down on the table and this has been one of those nights. We're all human. In, in my book, Glimpses of Other Realities, and in this big 106-page chapter, I'm showing you that here it is. That in this book that was first published in 1998, that's 22 years ago, that it goes into all of these issues having to do with cloning, making hybrids, evolution, genetic manipulation on the earth through half a dozen people in the human abduction syndrome who have been exposed to this and who have seen these tubes. And 22 years ago, in the past two decades, I have met only one government person who knew firsthand anything about these extraterrestrial cloning human body tubes and the big box in which they seem to exist. And that is that the non-humans are interested in our bodies and cloning them in order to try to get access to our souls. Probably one of the most subject, one of the most sensitive subjects. But now the surprise is that upon being able to interview Eddie Abbey, that during my two-hour interview with him two weekends ago, that I was asking him why there has been 70 years of denials about UFOs and ETs on Earth in the face of all of this material coming through humans and abductions. Why is there are these policies of denial still on Earth? when so many military and government people and abductees know the denial is a lie. Who do you think is keeping the big secret of the fact that we're on a planet with species that have been here for maybe 500 million years and we, Homo sapiens sapien, cross-faded with Neanderthal only about 45,000 years ago? That's how young we are. 
And if Homo sapiens sapien is the fourth experiment, are the humanoids which are experimenting on Earth, are they in the end totally in charge of everything that happens in spite of human Homo sapiens sapien power brokers? I believe they are the ones in charge. That's why they mingle amongst us. And I believe they want us to reach a spiritual level somehow. There was a talk about souls. They were interested in our soul somehow. How do we have a soul? How does this container hold the soul? That was a strange conversation. I thought, man, that's just weird stuff people talk about on this base. Well, that is critical. This is the most critical of all the subjects that you have mentioned. Can you describe where you were and who you were talking with or listening to about the containers and the souls? I was sitting outside of my office smoking a cigarette at the table with all the guys from the 732nd, the communication guys, to listen to people talk. There was a couple of officers there. There was a first lieutenant and a second lieutenant, and then I believe there was a lieutenant colonel. They were talking about how these beings from another planet were interested in our soul. How did our soul get in our body, and how could they extract our soul? How did it fit? Could they move the soul to another vessel? Stuff like that. It was like... (laughs) It was crazy, but I just listened, and it started to make some sense that these beings from other planets are interested in our soul, and how is it in the container, and they could repair our containers and do all kinds of stuff to us, but they couldn't get our soul. They wanted to know how to capture the soul. And the person telling this knew this information because why? Because he worked in the Cunea Tunnel, and he was one of the officers that listened to otherworldly communications And he had, I think it was 18 years of service in intelligence. So when you get to a certain level of intelligence, you've already been around the block and been a lot of places. So he knew firsthand that they were looking to find out how to get our souls out of our body, if they could capture our soul. It was very interesting to them. And did this person who was talking, who was working in the Cunea Tunnel, say that that implied that the humanoids in charge of the greys and the ones that had made these four experiments of standing up primates, of which we Homo sapiens sapien are the fourth, that those humanoids do not have souls. Didn't say anything like that, but you know what? It made you wonder, how are they so interested in their soul? I don't know. He didn't say. He just said they were extremely interested in our souls and that this was an earth school. We were on an earth school. Our souls were in school. Somehow this is where our souls came to learn. And they wanted to know how to get our souls, the knowledge of the souls or something that we've learned in this lifetime, this incarnation. Supposedly we reincarnate. That's right. I guess we pick our own lives and we made to forget, and then we're born again. And then we die and we go back to the soul world wherever souls go, and we had to keep doing that until we learn and learn and learn. They were talking about all this interesting stuff I found fascinating. The person talking to you worked in the Kenia Tunnel. Yes, ma'am, he sure did. I had a feeling he was one of the officers that was in charge of the area. Are we collaborating with the humanoid non-humans in the Kenia Tunnel? That I don't know if they're in that tunnel because they never mentioned that. But if we're collaborating with them other places, why wouldn't we be 
somebody's got to be translating this otherworldly communication. And I just can't get over the fact that we figured out a dialect. Where did you figure it out? Yeah. Somebody's got to interpret this for you. Yeah. It makes no sense. And how many other species are we not aware of, or they're aware of, and I don't know about? And, you know, something's wrong. It's a whole world of deceit. We're going into Iraq to get artifacts, not to get anything but artifacts. That was the most important thing, they said. But which artifacts? I don't know. They just said artifacts. There were things in Iraq that were so old that we had to go get. And Bush wanted those artifacts. It was very important. Did we get them? And if so, where did they go? We got them. They said they got everything they needed from that country. Where is it? I don't know. We have it. Like, you're looking for the Ark of the Covenant type stuff. You know, weapons like that. It's a weapon. Supposedly it has a power to kill, and you're not supposed to look upon it or anything. But the man who was talking about this never used any phrases like Ark of the Covenant. Never. He just said artifacts, ancient artifacts that were so important We had to get them, and we got them. There was more than one. Whatever they were looking for, they got it. Do you suppose that it was the humanoids themselves working through and with the United States that wanted that technology, and we got it for them? No. I think that we got it because of them. That's the way he made it sound like we needed this for our own protection type thing. This is very important that we had this. Almost like a very big treasure, and if we have it, we're safe. They can't touch us type thing, and we've got it. And who would be the they? I don't know. The aliens, but he didn't say if it was the humanoid. He didn't say it was the greys, but who knows what aliens he's talking about. They said that we had to get that, so they didn't get it. We got it. And if they are so advanced that they are making these four phases, and we are the fourth then wouldn't they be able to access and take any technology anywhere from this planet that they wanted any time that they wanted? Yeah, you would assume so, wouldn't you? Yeah, unless there is something that they are up against and they are using humans in some kind of an interface with something that they can't control or is fighting them. That's the question. You have to be a completely different race. It's a threat. You're very right. If the ball of wax is this big, how big is it really? It's like looking through a keyhole. How big is it really? What is really going on here? Did the officer who was talking about the body containers and the souls and the interests of the non-human humanoids in our souls bring up anything about the avatars of history, including... Christ, Buddha, Krishna, Muhammad, or others? No, I know there's a God. I died. I had heart surgery, five bypasses. I died. And I know there's a God because I was on the other side. Where did that happen in what year? November 2018 at Henry Ford Hospital in Clinton Township. I went in with some chest pains. I was laying inside. My chest tingled and it was cramping. It. Oh, it hurt so bad I'd vomit. Then I kept laying the sod and I kept stopping and vomiting. And the next day, I went to the doctor, my doctor for 20 years, Dr. Horrigan. I think I need a stress test. Something's going on where I'm puking. I walked in that treadmill for seven minutes. They stopped it. ER right now. Five bypasses at 47 years old. I remember they had to shave my whole body. 
and that was like moments before they gave me the anesthetic. And I remember the lady shaving me. And I was, you know, I never had anybody shave my whole body. And I remember they started to wheel the bed towards the desk. And I said, listen, everybody, if I die, it's okay. I know that you're going to do the best job you can. God and I have already got an agreement, and I've made my peace with God. Everybody's like, you're too young. We're not going to let you die. And the anesthesiologist said, listen, man, I'm going to give you some good stuff right now. You're not going to die. I want you to count backwards from 100. So I remember saying 100, 90, that was it. Next thing you know, it's black. I enter a room, which is almost shadowy. It was black in there. It was dark, almost like the lights were dimmed. And a lady was in there. She was made out of light. And she said, it was not my time. And I have to fulfill my soul contract. I had to fulfill it. It is not my time to come yet. And then, boom, I remember being completely dark. I remember hearing voices and a tube down my throat. And I remember thrashing about and then going back out again. Can you describe more the lady of light? She had a woman's voice. She looked almost like a transparent person, but not. She had a whole body, but it didn't look like my body. She was, like, glowing, and she was beautiful, but she was different than me. It was, like, almost perfection, that perfect sculpture. That's what she looked like, but she was light. She shined light from her body. What color? It was a bluish white. It was just beautiful, you know, and I wanted to stay there because she made me feel so welcome, but it was so brief. She's like, it's not your time. You have to fulfill your soul contract. I know I died. Five bypasses. They must have lost me. And then Dr. Harrington's the one that did my surgery. We got you, big guy. We brought you back. You're here. You're breathing. I told you I wouldn't let you go. As you were looking at the lady made out of light, was she translucent the way that we can sometimes look through a hologram? Very much so. That's how she appeared to me. But I also felt like I was, too. I felt like I was like her, but I couldn't stay there with her. It was just really odd. Like, I knew her. And if you were thinking of an actress that might be closest to the face that you were looking at, who would that be? Remember when Meryl Streep was real young? Yeah. Kind of like that facial structure of Meryl Streep, but just flawless. It was just beautiful. And could you see her eyes in terms of color? White. Everything seemed white. There was no color except for that blue and that white light she had. And her eyes seemed to be white. I could recognize, like, I've seen this before. I'm home. Really weird. I didn't want to come back, but I had my kids and, you know, I raised nine. So I guess I'm needed here. Have you ever had a vivid dream in which the Lady of Light reappeared? I had a dream of three men made out of white light, and they were around a table, and I was walking to the table. I wanted to get closer if I could hear what they were saying, and they turned to me all at once and said, you do not belong here yet, and I woke up. They were light, like that lady was. When you think back to the discussion of the officer who was talking about the humanoids that are not homo sapiens sapiens, having a great interest in our human souls and that they are interested in trying to take our souls out of our bodies and 
perhaps transferring our souls into theirs. Did you ever have a sense that those humanoids are from another dimension and another universe? I had a sense that they were from another universe. From another universe means beyond this universe. Yeah, supposedly they can bend space and time instantaneously and pull space towards the other space and boom, pop out on the other side, almost like a black hole that they create. If they are so advanced, why is it necessary for them to manipulate genetic material in already evolving primates to create four phases of standing up primates, and we are the fourth Homo sapiens sapien, and that they haven't been able to control the violence factor in the four phases of the standing up humanoid primates? Something in the DNA that we have we are violent species, and I think that they're trying to obtain a species that is more spiritual, more peaceful, and every time it turns out the same at the end, and we're trying to avoid being the same. If they are that advanced, and if they are interested in a spiritual evolution, and they admire or are interested in the souls that Homo sapiens sapiens have, but they are in control of all of the experimentation. Why would these humanoids not have the souls that they admire in Homo sapiens sapien? I don't know. I guess it goes back to God. And if you look at that, God's created everything. We must be the favor of God. There's something about us that God favors. We're different, and they really don't understand why we're so different inside. So may the divine field protect Eddie Abbott now and whatever is the next step for his soul and that he get well, I hope, soon, and I'll keep you posted. But in listening to Eddie and having been through the many deep, long hours of discussion that I was in the early 1990s with people in the human abduction syndrome about the same subject that would be being discussed by people in military intelligence in Hawaii. And that when Eddie said that what he was hearing, beings from other planets are interested in our soul and how is it a container and they could reap pair our containers and do all kinds of stuff, but they couldn't get our soul. They were studying how to capture the soul. And for those of you who have been with me on these Wednesday nights for the last two or three years, you have heard me say so many times that I think that the strongest and most important part of Homo sapiens sapiens is our soul and that it isn't something that is mythological. And even if this is heavy going material, and if it is at the top of the priority list for military and intel to not have anybody know anything about, it should be classified forever, which I think is the current thinking. I feel exactly the opposite. It is this kind of discussion, it is this kind of education 
about what is really going on behind the centuries and centuries and centuries of darkness versus light on this planet that I think every single one of us should know every single thing that the people allegedly leading the planet as power brokers know and discuss and strategize about. And very honestly, I feel that I can give you a reminder of what I would consider to be like somebody gave me something very positive in the context of this whole issue of things in this universe who recognize these unique, strong, vibrant, incredible souls in the human experiment on Earth. And they want them, and they can't have them from the divine field. And the gift that was given to me, that was back in Massachusetts when I told you about having this huge dark thing come through the bedroom door. My husband was asleep, never woke up. But like so many cases, when you get into people who are experiencers, although this was, in my case, I don't place it. I'm not aware of anything that has been in the experiencer category. But this was the approach of that big black thing to the right of the bed, and my finding myself paralyzed, and having uh, the thought voice, which I think the thought voices are the communications from our souls. And that the communication was to concentrate on my little finger. And then I broke the paralysis. And when I turned back over on my back on the pillow, and that's when I was, could see this black hulk and that huge white glowing cross popped into this, like it was a about 14 foot old Victorian house size. It's huge in terms of the space up and this big white blazing cross filled it. And the thought boy said, say the Lord's Prayer over and over out loud. Frequencies matter. Say the Lord's Prayer out loud over and over. And I did. And then this Black Hulk dissipated and I fell back again on the pillow and in came that voice. I can hear it right now, this inner voice. You will never have a fight for your soul again through infinity. I don't fully understand the implication of that. But what I'm trying to com communicate tonight in the context of all of this content that Eddie got in a military context in Hawaii, where the Kania Tunnel is truly one of the most highly classified units that the United States has as a listening, sophisticated listening place. And those people would have heard everything there is to hear. So the fact that he was exposed to these discussions and that clearly the military did not want this kind of discussion out in the public. But I'm sitting proof that 
what I feel is that my soul, your soul, human souls, have the ability to react, have the ability to respond and communicate in these thought voices. And that just knowing that, that I went through that and that I can sit in front of you honestly and say, the white blazing cross was what overcame the situation. And that all of us have that ability, our souls have that ability to reach out. And Eddie and I talked about his NDE that left him with, he has a calmness, a very strong calmness about, as he said, Linda, if this is my time to go, I'm fine. I, I know that there is a God and I know that we go after this life. And it's, I'm so sad that he's having a rough time again physically, but that I know inside of him there is a soul that knows and inside of all of us. And the bigger question in all this is, if we could just move this planet forward to telling the whole truth and nothing but the truth about our origins, the presence of all kinds of alien intelligences here in this planet, throughout this solar system, throughout the Milky Way galaxy. It could change the entire tenor of a planet Earth where there has been too much violence. That's true. Too much war. And if that is any kind of a provocation for advanced beings with advanced technologies to look at us as an experiment that has failed because we're too violent, if we were educated about the true relationship of our soul to the divine field that is the source of everything, and other life in this universe, if we knew the truth, who is friendly, who is neutral, who is hostile, who wants this, who wants that, and that humans began to stand on a much more level ground, then there may not be any reason for advanced intelligences to look at Homo sapiens sapien and think they're too violent and that a fifth experiment must be put in place. And the bigger box, I had that discussion with Roger Penrose, is that all of it is recycling. We are living human lives and they are short, like Drosophila flies. They average 72 or whatever it is now. It's just like that. And clearly there are other intelligences as are described about the praying mantises that uh, one of the abductees who dealt with the tubes and the cloning and the transfer of life force, uh, she said that the praying mantises seemed to be involved with this huge experiment of life and life forms and that they seem to be ageless, the sense that maybe they never die. We don't understand that. 
Is it artificial intelligence? What is it? But that every abductee who has been in front of a, one of these praying mantis types that they sense is ancient always expresses love, a deep sense of love to the human standing in front of them. So we are seeing only through a tiny, tiny keyhole, as Eddie said. How big is the big picture? Why is reincarnation the machinery of this universe? The recycling of souls, as a gray Eben told an Air Force captain back in the early 50s, according to both documents that I was able to read and they were wanting me to go and interview the captain and he was sick. The recycling of souls in reincarnation is the machinery of this universe. And I hope as we go forward, there's thousands of other subjects we can get into. And uh, tonight, this was maybe a lot brought into this one program, but I feel that what Eddie has been exposed to in a military intelligence context, even though his career was shortened because of the terrible head wound that he got in 2009 and had to have an honorable discharge for a medical reason, that what he was exposed to so provoked him that he reached out to me now when he said, I don't feel like I have much more time on this planet and I wanted you to at least know what I heard. So um, I thank Edward Keith Abbott for sharing and for us being able to do this in two parts. And I started a little late because we had technical problems and we had a lot of things happen. And, you know, it's like we're all human and we are trying to do things perfectly, but that is always a big challenge. But I'd like to, Peggy, if we could, I'd like to go an extra 10 minutes to make up for starting late. And if there are one or two questions, I'd love to hear what people have on their mind. Hi, Linda. I, I'd just like to mention a couple of questions or comments that people had made in the chat that yeah. maybe we could follow up on another time. But someone had asked, when Eddie saw the UFO, did he hear anything like a jet propulsion sound? I asked him, completely silent. I asked his son, the 22-year-old Tobias, uh, we were going to do the video together and then Eddie was in the hospital. Um, he said, no, it was completely silent. Oh, and here is something very important. Tobias, who was about a fourth grader then, he said that when it first came and they first saw it, it was doing a very slow, methodical circle that came closer to them, not over them, but closer to them, and did this very slow circle at that Eva Beach area for at least 40 minutes. Then it stopped. And Eddie had said, that thing seemed to stop in the air for a good 40, 45 minutes. Just stopped. 
And then came the two Nighthawks uh, helicopters, and then came jets, and the thing took off, went down uh, near Diamond Head into the ocean waters. And Tobias said that he remembered clearly in his childhood memory of all of them, all of the kids and Eddie and, and the mother uh, staying out at that table into the night and that they assumed it went on all night, that there was this concentrated military search mission or search activity where this big, huge, floppy wing, whatever you want to call it, butterfly wing looking, but it had the, uh, the gestalt or the feeling of something that was metallic. That's, that's what they said. That's what uh, Tobias also that it was a machine or it was something that was mechanical and when it went down into the ocean our military forces did not let up uh, till late uh, I don't know if they uh, went to bed finally but uh, Tobias had the impression that it went on most of the night and they don't know they they do not know whether there was something that was retrieved uh, why did the military chase whatever this object was, down to the ocean and then stay there into the night? It's a very good question, but not one sound. And that was 45, that would be 90 minutes that that object was in the sky uh, up not too far from where Eddie and his wife and the kids were on Eva Beach. Another. So someone was also asking when Eddie was talking about his near-death experience, could he, what he had seen, been an Anunnaki or an interdimensional being? It is very interesting, his description of something that is all white, even the eyes, and is beautiful, and the features are detailed enough that he could compare it to Meryl Streep. And I think all of us understand that kind of uh, chiseled, classic uh, face. And when I think back through the panoply of interviews with people having encounters with things that are sort of translucent or you can see through them, that she was all white, but when I said, could it be a hologram, he was considering that as something like a possibility, but the other thing that makes Eddie's description very interesting, because the holographic projection has been described as ET technology so advanced that the human mind cannot discern from the world around us. I've heard that since uh, 20 years ago. So this could be that it is holographic projection but that would contradict the whole sense that Eddie had and others have had when they're in the presence of some beings that come into the near-death experience and have communication with the experiencers. And in fact, let me read briefly one paragraph that comes from Raymond Fowler, who did all of the six books on Betty Andresen if you have not read the Betty Andresen affair case, it's six full books, The Watchers, Betty Andresen. It is one of 
the more detailed, uh, complex, provokes you to think to your core, those six books. Raymond Fowler was running a planetarium in a town and became very interested in Betty Andresen's case. And I talked with him in depth about Betty's case. I've known Betty Andresen, uh, have sat with her when she was pounding with her fist. Linda, the key is in our very blood. At the time, in the early 90s, when she was pounding, Linda, the key is in our very blood. It wasn't as clear to any of us then that, and, and she confessed, she knew that the key was in our blood, but she didn't fully understand. Today, it's what Eddie is saying about the cloning and the hybridization and the genetic manipulation and the trying to understand what this, if we're a fourth laboratory experiment, what does it add up to in terms of Homo sapiens sapien having this extraordinary soul. It's not metaphorical. It is real. And when he said how, that the, the discussions in Hawaii were, how does it fit into the body? Sort of, where is it? How do you get it in? Th those are the practical human questions. I want you to hear this brief paragraph. It's in my book, Glimpses of Other Realities, Volume 2. This is when Ray and I had a very, very long, and I recorded, uh, discussion uh, about uh, this whole issue of recycling of souls, the, uh, the tubes, and all of that. And here is Ray Fowler, the author of the six books about Betty Andresen and the incredible Andresen affair. The UFO near-death experience connection seems to be telling us that whoever controls the UFO phenomena is intimately connected with the afterlife of human beings. This is a deeply profound revelation with ever-escalating implications for humankind. Whatever the reason, which may be beyond our comprehension, Alien interaction seems to be part of a constant interplay between life here and life in the hereafter. For if we take and integrate the total characteristics of the UFO and the near-death experience phenomena at full base face value, the bottom line implication is that death may be the ultimate UFO abduction experience." Close quote. Now, some people have told me this topic is too threatening, it's too dangerous, it's, you, you can't raise it in the public. But I did in this book that I published in 1998. And the only provocation that I can see has happened from my being honest and putting all of this material with illustrations in this book in 1998 is how many people in the military have come to me, how many people in the abduction syndrome have come to me,
to tell me their first-hand experiences. They're not afraid. There is something profound in what we are talking about tonight that is at the key, perhaps, of the entire mystery of this universe's existence. More and more headlines that are coming all the time about, is it a hologram? All of the mysteries about dark matter and dark energy. Could this be, and the most, re I'm going to do a story uh, next week for sure on the brand new paper that is talking about where we have seen the cone the cone illustration of the universe from the singularity out and expanding, there's now a whole new mathematical construct that shows it coming to the point and then continuing like in another cone, cone, like a cone of time in a cone of time. This universe, I don't think, is what we ever we're taught that it's just a singularity and a burst of energy and somehow all of this came about. If this whole universe is a university made to train souls, then everything that Eddie Abbott was exposed to in Hawaii, what Betty Andresen talks about in six volumes through Ray Fowler, to all of the half dozen abductees in my book that have been exposed to the tubes, light somehow sustaining the clone bodies while they are studying how to get a soul like humans in and out of those bodies. Instead of fear, instead of closing it all down, instead of saying we can't talk about this, I think we must. We must talk because on the other side of the screen tonight, there may be a dozen of you out there who have had the experiences with the tubes that you can write me, that we will all learn together. There may be military people who have had discussions about that the government is afraid that if they open up the whole truth about UFOs and ETs, that it will threaten religions because the devil versus angels and all of that are the metaphors for what is at stake in the profound core of what is happening. And my answer always is, and I feel this strongly, whatever is out there, that humans know about, whether they're power brokers, military leaders, doctors, scientists, whoever, you and I deserve to know that truth. So I am open to anybody giving me feedback tonight saying, you don't want this information opened up or Whatever your feedback is, I would love to know. And for those of you who think that this should be not only explored, but that I should do more periodic programs about it, opening up even more, let me know that as well. And Peggy, I've come to uh, 15 minutes. I hope 
all of you will forgive all of those technical problems we had at the beginning with the mic. But as Brad said, when you watch Stephen Colbert or uh, Kimmel or any of them trying to operate from their houses, they have the same kinds of problems. So hopefully in the age of COVID, with all of the stresses and unpredictability of it, that we will all start being more forgiving of each other all of the time because we're all trying as best we can to do the best we can in an event, a phenomena, a layer of life that nobody has known for 100 years since the 1918 pandemic. And please don't let your guard down. I love you. I love all of you around the world. We can't let our guard down because this COVID-19 coronavirus is insidious. And wearing masks, think of the people you love, wear your mask for them and your gloves and your hat and put on sunglasses because you've got to, to fend off the moisture particles that can hold the COVID. It's science. And I like science, even if we are delving into what may be one of the most impossible to understand mysteries of us and the universe we're in, where the recycling of souls is the machinery of the universe. See you next week.
Thanks for listening to this Earth Files podcast from the edges of science, environment, and real X-Files. Go to www.earthfiles.com to see more than a thousand Earth Files reports with photographs, drawings, and documents. And visit Earth Files every day, every week, for new reports and new podcasts. That's www.earthfiles.com. Thank <laughs> you.